Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the Listener Library for a recommendation from our mysterious listener, Paul. The Big Cast from Dragnet. Dragnet premiered on NBC Radio June 8th. 1949, starring Jack Webb as Los Angeles Police Sergeant Joe Friday. The program's low-key documentary style, obsessively naturalistic pacing, and understated performances were unlike anything else on radio. After just a few months on the air, Dragnet became a cultural touchstone. Friday's catchphrase, the facts ma'am, just the facts, is still recognizable today even by people who have never heard or seen Dragnet. Over the course of the program, Friday had many police partners, but his first, and the one featured in today's episode, was Ben Romero, played by Barton Yarborough. OTR fans will recognize Yarborough as the voice of Doc Long in I Love a Mystery, as well as Clifford Barber in Carlton E. Morse's long-running soap opera One Man's Family. Sadly, Yarborough died of a heart attack in 1951. Webb incorporated Yarborough's death into the series with an episode entitled The Big Sorrow, in which Joe Friday deals with the unexpected death of Ben Romero. In 1952, Dragnet made the transition to television, a move that only increased the show's popularity. By the mid-1950s, Dragnet was watched by 50% of American households and held a top 10 rating spot through 1956. The television series adapted many scripts from the radio, including the big cast. The TV episode is notable for the casting of a young Lee Marvin as the suspect Henry Ross. Now, let's listen to the original radio version of The Big Cast. First broadcast, February 8th, 1951. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Ladies and gentlemen, Leggett and Myers, makers of Fatima cigarettes, is proud to bring you its prize-winning radio program. Winner of the Motion Picture Herald Fame Award. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. Detective Sergeant, you're assigned a homicide detail. Twelve men drop completely from sight over a short period of time. There's evidence of foul play. Four months pass. You finally locate the leading suspect in the case. Your job? Pick him up. You'll be amazed when you compare Fatima with other long cigarettes. You'll find they now cost the same. But in Fatima, the difference is quality. You see, Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette because it contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended. 
And Fatima is extra mild, with a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. So compare Fatima yourself. Fatimas now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima, the difference is quality. Ask your dealer for Fatima, the quality king-size cigarette. Best of all long cigarettes. Start enjoying Fatima tomorrow. the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, October the 6th. It was sultry in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 10.45 a.m. when we got to Ortega Street, number 1285. Second floor? Yeah, room 14. They all smell the same, don't they? What's that? Room and housing. Oh, yeah. These are the odd numbers here. Must be down that way, huh? Yeah, here it is. Fourteen. Really, cops? Right, come on, get up. Don't no fool him. Don't no fool him. You really cops? I thought you were faking. We showed you our identification at the door. I thought you were faking. That's the truth. There's a couple of guys out to muss me up. I, I thought you were them. Your name Henry Ross? Yeah, that's right. I thought you were one of those moochers I had a fight with in the bar the other night. Says he's going to get a pal and come back in and take care of me. Yeah? Yeah. I got no reason to fight with cops. I didn't do my room any good. Landlady's sure gonna scream. All right, come on. You want to finish up dressing? I want to talk to you downtown. What's it about, officer? Missing person. We'll brief you when we get downtown. Well, it's all right with me. Could you take these handcuffs off, please? It's kind of hard dressing with them. All you have to do is put your shoes on. You can make out. All right. I don't know why you had to slap handcuffs on me. I didn't know you were cops. You mind if we check through your things, Rolf? Huh? Why? You mind? Oh, go ahead if you want. I got a night. You know, if you'd have spoke up at the door, that wouldn't have been a fight. 
I thought you were that mooch in a bar and his friend. I thought you were looking for trouble. You about ready to go? Yeah, I'd like to brush my teeth off, if you don't mind. I got a real mouthful of cotton this morning. All right, what do you keep your toothbrush? It's over here. I'll get it. No, I'll get it. Never mind. Get here? Yeah, first shelf. It's in the glass. Yeah, Don't you it. trust me? There you go. Want some toothpaste? Yeah. All right. There you go. Turn on the water tap, huh? Hey. Nothing, Joe. It's pretty clean. Of course I'm clean. What do you expect? Anybody could have made the mistake. I didn't know you were cops. Henry Ellsworth Ross. Is that your full name? Yeah, that's right. I hardly ever use the Ellsworth, though. That's a real lousy name, huh? But what's the fetch on all this, officer? We told you, missing person. Want to talk to you about it. I don't think I can help you. Nobody I know is missing. How about Paul Davis? Davis? Yeah, I know Davis. I don't know if his name is Paul, though. Been gone a long time, huh, Miss Davis? Yeah, that's right. Something wrong, you think? We figure murder. After going over his room thoroughly, we took Henry Ellsworth Ross back to the city hall to the interrogation room. It was a slightly built man, dark hair, brown eyes, swarthy complexion. He was a longshoreman by trade. Among his friends and acquaintances, he was known as a heavy drinker and a man with a violent temper. Ben and I questioned him for a half an hour and got nowhere. He sat across the table, relaxed, scraping at a thick callus on his hand with his fingernail. I'll tell you the truth. I just don't know what you're getting at. I think I know a guy named Davis, and that's about as far as it goes. Sure that's all you've got to tell us? Of course I'm sure. Now, look, i got a right to call a lawyer if you're going to sit there and throw a lot of charges at me. We're not throwing charges at you, Henry. We've got a missing persons case. We'd like to have you cooperate. That's about it. Well, maybe I'd like to, but I can't. Paul Davis is just a name to me. Maybe I know him. I, I don't know. You got that report there, then? Mm, yeah, just a minute. There you go. Thanks. Well, here's the way it goes, Henry. Yeah? Well, according to his wife, Paul Davis left Los Angeles by auto a little over four months ago was driving up to Oakdale, California to take a job with a dairy company up there. He never got there. He's been missing ever since. So? What's the pitch? All we've been able to find is Davis's car, the 36 Ford Coupe, 7 Tom 792. It was sold a month ago up in Lodi, California. But Davis didn't sell it. A man by the name of Carter signed the pink slip at the time of the sale. Henry Carter. Sorry. Don't mean anything to me. Well, as Carter made it look like Paul Davis had signed the Ford over to him. We checked it out. Davis' signature was Ford's. That's so? It's supposed to have something to do with me? Did you ever use the name Henry Carter? Of course not. Ross. That's the only name I go by. Never had your name changed? No. Never used an alias? I told you, no. I wonder if you'd mind taking a look at this. Here you go, this here. What's this got to do with me? The pink slip to Paul Davis' car. Mm. See the signatures on the back here? Transfer of ownership? You recognize either one of them? Paul Davis. Henry H. Carter. No. Doesn't mean anything to me. Is it supposed to? It should, yeah. Why? The signatures are both in your handwriting. How about it, Henry? How about what? I don't even know what you're talking about. You're trying to give me the treatment? What's this all about? I'm trying to locate Paul Davis. I'm not even sure I know the guy. I think you better level, Henry. 
Our handwriting man checked both the signatures. It's your writing. Well, then maybe you better get a new handwriting man. I never saw that slip. I never wrote those signatures. Anybody can copy handwriting. Well, I've got something else for you, Ross. I'd like to have you check it over, see if you can identify it. What is it? It's a letter. I want to take a look here. Mm-hmm. That mean anything to you? No, nothing. I hope you're not going to tell me this is my handwriting. That's what the report says. Oh, it's crazy. I never wrote like that in my life. All the writing characteristics match up. Same as the signatures on the pink slip. All right, maybe they are the same. I didn't write either one. I never wrote like that in my life. Here, let me show you how no, I write. That's all right. Ben, do you want to pull the package tomorrow night? Mm, yeah, okay. I don't savvy one bit of this, Sergeant. How about laying it out here? You can see the name at the bottom of the letter. It's signed Henry Carter, same as the pink slip. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, this letter was sent to the wife of Paul Davis about nine weeks ago, and it says here that Davis supposedly was too busy to write his wife, so he had this Henry Carter send a letter. He also writes in here that Davis sold his car to Carter. Somebody trying to cover up, huh? No, we think so. We think it's Henry Carter. This, um, this Davis guy, he's been gone about four months? That's right. You said you thought Davis was murdered. How come? Just an idea. Oh. Eight men had disappeared from around here in the last 14 months, just like Davis. Mm. Six more up in the San Joaquin Valley the same way. They took off alone on auto trips. Never seen again. Not a trace. Pretty funny. Here you go, Joe. Thank you. You've got your record here, Henry, from Baton Rouge. Sent to Sheriff Clemens for it. Huh? Look, do we have to drag all that again? It's past. Just one thing we had to check in. You told us that you never use an alias, is that right? All right, I have. I didn't know what you're getting at. I didn't think there was any use dragging out dirty laundry again. I asked you if you ever used the name Henry Carter. Okay, I've used it. It's a common name. There's a lot of Henry Carters around. We only know one of it's your description. I'm clean. You know that. Want to smoke, Henry? No. You? Yeah, thanks. Well, let me have one, will you? Sure. Here you go. Thanks. You got a match here. You know, we rode this thing for four months. It's all over the state. Here. Thanks. I'll tell you what we got, Henry. We'll let you make up your own mind. It's not my writing. On June 4th, Paul Davis left Los Angeles in his car headed for Oakdale. Late in the afternoon, he stopped for gas at a service station just beyond San Fernando. The attendant says a man was with Davis. You fit that man's description, Henry. Yeah? Well, I've seen monks like that in court. They get on the stand, they can't even remember their own name. A couple others. You and Davis stopped for a hamburger just outside of Gorman. There's a man there. He remembers you, too. You stopped again in Bakersfield. Picked up a quart of oil for the car. You and Davis had a coke. It's the last time you were seen alive. That makes me a killer, huh? A month after that, the pink slip to Davis's car came through DMV up in Sacramento. That was for the transfer of ownership from Davis to Henry Carter. Both in your handwriting. A couple of weeks later, Mrs. Davis got that letter. A month ago, Davis's car was sold to a dealer in Lodi. Yeah, yeah. We found the dealer, Ross. Showed him a mugshot. He says you sold him the car. That all? It's just the main part. There's more. We've been on the road a lot. We followed you from here to Sacramento and back, Henry. Every stop, every detour took us a long time. Yeah, I guess it did. What do you say, Ross? Nothing. Any way you want it, Henry. You got on the smoke. 
You worked hard on it, huh? All over the state. That's right. Must be pretty hot up in the valley summertime. Dusty, huh? We made out. I've never been up in the valley in summer. It's too hot for me. We got people who saw you there. What's it prove? Ten people and some writing samples. You can't build a case on that. You know it, don't you? We're gonna try. You think I murdered Davis? You, Sergeant? Yeah. You think I murdered those other guys, too, huh? What was it, the ten, twelve of them? We're asking about Davis. You think I killed him? Tell me the truth, do you? you? think I murdered Davis? Yeah, I think you did. Huh? Well, then you know as well as I do. There's only one way to prove it. Yeah. Find his body. 1.15 p.m. Ben and I took Henry Ross out and fed him some lunch. Then we took him back to the city hall to the interrogation room where we continued to question him. He was relaxed and he talked a great deal about everything but the disappearance of Paul Davis. He didn't seem anxious to get away, made no demands for an attorney to represent him. For a full hour, he did most of the talking. He told us about the different homicide cases he'd read up on. He asked us about the 12 men who disappeared in the past months in the same manner Paul Davis had. Was there any trace of them at all? Did we have any leads? How did we think we were going to find them? Well, we finally got around to asking him if he'd submit to a lie detector test. He seemed taken by the idea and agreed to it almost immediately. Ben called Sergeant Berger and made arrangements for the test. We made up a list of key questions. At 5 p.m., we took the suspect to the third floor of the old city jail where Sergeant Berger gave him the polygraph test. On the way back to the office, Ross complained he was hungry. We stopped and bought him coffee and donuts. We got back to the interrogation room a little after 6 p.m. The questioning continued. Ross didn't seem to mind at all. He kept talking. We let him talk. 8 p.m., he was still going strong. You remember the Wilson case back in 34, don't you, Sergeant? Woman killed her whole family. Big case, you remember. Yeah, uh-huh. it was pretty tragic. Uh-huh. Is that a hobby of yours, Henry, collecting murder stories? No, no, I, I just read them, remember them. I guess I can remember every big murder case in the last 15 years. That's so? Yeah, it's about all of them. I, yeah, I guess it is kind of a hobby. I, I get a big kick out of it. I get it, Ben. Excuse me, Henry. Oh, sure. Interrogation room, Friday. Oh, yeah, Berger. Mm-hmm. No, how many? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You know, there's one thing I get a real big kick out of, those detective magazines. Mystery stories, the way they make out the murderer. How do you mean? Well, you know, they always build it up into something big. Somebody's always killing somebody else for a million dollars, or maybe over some woman, some beautiful woman. Same way with the movies. That's where they get it all mixed up. I don't think I follow you, Henry. Oh, sure you do. Every time some guy writes a murder story, he's got to build up a big reason for the killing. Mm-hmm. A lot of money, beautiful woman. Revenge, maybe. Always got to be a big reason. Motive. Motive, that's what they say. Yeah, well, it generally works out that way, doesn't it? Why? I bet you there's a, a thousand murder cases in your files without any reason at all. Some people kill, that's all. I've heard about lots of them. They just want to kill and they go ahead and do it. Maybe for a few bucks, maybe for nothing. They, they just do it, that's all. That's all. Sure, you know that. Like this thing you've been talking about. Ten, twelve guys disappear. They got a few bucks, maybe they got nothing. Somebody plows them under, and that's all. No big reason. They just do it. So twelve guys are gone. It doesn't mean anything. Uh-huh. That's how you got it figured, huh, Henry? 
Huh? A phone call a minute ago there. It was a man who gave you the lie detector test. Oh, that right? How'd it go? He just finished going over your graph. He got 16 positive reactions. Yeah? What's that mean? You lied, Henry, 16 times. That's right. You better tell him to get a new machine. I lied all the way through. Mind telling us why? No, I don't mind. I guess I knew you'd find out. Let's go get something to eat first, though. I'm hungry. Well, we better talk a little more, Henry. Oh, let's go. I'll tell you why we're eating. Bring a pencil with you. Draw your map. Map of what? The canyon, where I buried it. You are listening to Dragnet for the step-by-step solution to tonight's authentic case history. Here's step-by-step are the actual reasons why Fatima is the quality king-size cigarette. Why in Fatima, the difference is quality. Quality of tobaccos, the finest domestic and Turkish varieties, extra mild and superbly blended to give you a much different, much better flavor and aroma. Quality of manufacture, smooth, round, perfect cigarettes, rolled in the finest paper money can buy. Manufactured in the newest and most modern of all cigarette factories. Quality even to the appearance of the bright, clean, golden yellow package. Carefully wrapped and sealed to bring you Fatima's rich, fresh, extra mild flavor. Compare Fatima yourself. Fatima's now cost the same as other long cigarettes, but your first puff will tell you... Ah, that's different. Yes, in Fatima... The difference is quality. Insist on Fatima. Start enjoying the quality king-size cigarette. Fatima. Best of all long cigarettes. Wednesday, 9.55 p.m. Ben and I took Henry Ross across the street, bought him a Coke at Max Place, and we took him next door to the Melbourne cafeteria. It was almost closing time. Ross got himself a cottage cheese and pineapple salad, bacon and liver with onions, rye bread, banana pie, and coffee. Ben had a hot beef sandwich, mashed potatoes, and coffee. I had the same. At the back of the cafeteria, one of the busboys was mopping the tile floor. It was a strong smell of disinfectant. How about that table over there, Sergeant? That all right with you? Yeah, it's okay. Doesn't make any difference. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Henry? Yeah, please. All right, I'll get some. Oh, boy, living onions. That sure smells great, huh? Yeah. I can't take those onions so well. They repeat on me. Uh, not me. I can eat anything. Salt and pepper? Yeah, thanks. Boy, I'm sure hungry. I haven't eaten much today. Did you get a sandwich made with rye bread? Mm-mm. Graham bread. Oh, you should have gotten the rye. Real German rye bread. Here. Smell that. Real nice and fresh. Here you go. Ben? Oh, thanks. Oh, thank you. You know, all that talk really sharpened up my appetite. Boy, this food tastes good. Mm-hmm. Shall we go? Uh, well, thanks. We brought a pencil along, Henry. You want us to start taking notes? As good as time as any, I guess. You know, the whole thing just comes right back to what I was trying to tell you there in the office. 
Dale, what's that? Oh, you know. All about those phony mystery stories. Oh, yeah. Every time there's trouble, there's a big reason behind it. It's phony, that's all. Yeah? Sure, this it's Paul Davis, for instance. I guess I knew you'd find me out. I knew this morning when you picked me up, you had it figured. Must have been a big job, huh? Finding me? Mm-hmm. Pretty big, Henry, you know. A lot of mileage. How'd it happen? Well, there again. That's just like I was saying. There's no big reason behind it. I needed a few bucks and Mr. Davis came along. <coughs> I guess he was it. Hey, pass me a ketchup, boy. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, here you are. I'll get the lid off there. There you go. Thanks. Where'd you meet, Davis, Henry? Oh, I was hitchhiking out in Ventura. Not a dime in my jeans. I was going up to Maricopa. I thought I had a job up there, and this Davis come along. Picked me up. Mm-hmm. You never know him before that? No. Huh? Stranger. He says he's going to Oakdale. Little guy give me a ride. Go ahead. Well, we stopped for gas at San Fernando, and I saw he had a few bucks in his wallet, and I guess that's when I got the idea. About what? Killing him. Now, maybe that gives you an idea what I was talking about. You don't need any big reason to kill somebody. Davis said, 18 bucks. Now, suppose I told that to a writer. Somebody killing a guy for 18 bucks. That wouldn't make much sense, huh? He'd tell you he'd never sell. You need a million dollars, beautiful woman. Good motive. Yeah. Where'd you kill him, Henry? Just outside of Bakersfield. A little canyon there. I got Davis to buy a fifth of sherry in Bakersfield. He drank some on the way. Hey, Pass the saw, huh? Yeah. There you go. Thanks. Liver's no good without plenty of salt. How'd you kill Davis, Henry? Well, that's a funny thing. He drank some of the wine, got a little sleepy. I was just outside of Bakersfield. Dark by that time. I spotted this little canyon. I figured it's as good a place as any. Well, so I guess him pulled off to a side road and had a few more drinks. I spotted this little shack out there in the middle of nowhere. Exactly where was this, Henry? Well, I can show you. It's maybe... Two miles north of Bakersfield, we got to the shack, finished the wine, went to sleep. Both of you? Mm-hmm. And that's where the funny part comes in. I guess I killed Davis, all right. But I didn't mean it. Oh, brother, get a whiff of that, huh? Why do these monks have to mop up while people are eating? They'll be through in a minute, Henry. Fine. How'd you mean, Henry, you didn't mean to kill him? You already told us you had the idea. Well, sure I had the idea. Let me explain, huh? We both went to sleep in the shack, Davis and me. Guess that must have been, all oh, about 9 o'clock at night. I don't know what it was. Maybe the wine, I guess, but I started having nightmares. Hmm? Yeah, now, maybe this part sounds like a story, but it's the truth. I had all these dreams. I woke up, but they're still there. What was that? Faces. Faces. That's all I could see. Air is full of faces. Like, I, I guess I was really still asleep. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I... I Picked up a two-by-four and started swinging at them in faces. Funny thing, too. I knew every one of these faces. How do you mean? People I killed. There are only a dozen of them, really, but it seemed like there were a hundred of them all around in the air. Well, I grabbed that two-by-four and I started swinging. I was cold and sweating all at the same time, and I kept on swinging. And I saw Davis's face, and I swung hard and kept swinging. Didn't he make a sound? His eyes closed, kept on swinging at his head. Well, I come to it, there he was, lying on the floor. Seemed to take those other faces away. They didn't bother me after I killed Davis. What'd you do with him, Henry? Oh, pulled him outside the shack, dug a hole and buried him. 
Burned his clothes, took his car and money, and drove off. I'll show you if you like where I buried him, I mean. How about these other men, Ross? These faces you saw. Hmm? Oh. Uh, uh, when if I get a little more coffee? Huh? It's all gone. I'll get it. You? No, no, thanks. I'm what about it, Ross? The other men? Oh, I don't recall them too well. It's what you said in the office. Ten or twelve of them. A couple in Sacramento. The others down through the valley. Like I say, there was no big reason for killing them. It just happened that way. That's... What'd you do with them, you remember? Generally, yeah. Uh, there's one of them that stands out. Guy by the name of Slattery. Some kind of salesman. A real crybaby. Where'd this happen? No, I'm picking up in his car outside of Chowchilla. It's nighttime. You must be feeling pretty good. I made him stop on a side road. I hit him with a piece of angle iron. He cried like a baby. Buried him in a field there. Like one of the faces that I saw. That's funny, huh? It shows you how psychology works, huh? Yeah, what'd you do with his car, Slattery's, I mean? Drove it down to Mexico and saw it there. I guess that's what I should have done with Davis's car. Oh, here you go. Oh, thanks. These killings are yours. You got any more you want to tell us about? Well, I told you already. Ten or twelve of them. They're pretty much the same. When was the first one? Oh, maybe 18 months, two years ago. First one wasn't any harder than last. It's just like I was telling you before. Yeah. Everybody builds up murder. It's supposed to be a big thing, hard to do, all those phony stories. I'd just hit a guy a couple of times or something, that'd be it. A real small thing. Didn't change me any. That's why I say it's, it's all built up. You ever been treated for any mental sickness, Roth? No, why? You ever been examined by a psychiatrist? No. After you killed these men, did it bother you at all? I just had one dream. Time I was with Davis. That's about it. Sure, good meal, Sergeant. Thanks. Yeah, okay. You ready, Ben? Let's go. All right. We go back upstairs, huh? Yeah. You want to give us a statement? All right. I had an idea you'd find me. I guess I always knew that you'd find me. Well, let's go then. Guess I proved my point anyway, huh? It's all build up. Huh? Murder. Killing somebody. Those phony stories. It's all built up. It's cheap. No, you got it wrong, Henry. Huh? Wait till they read you the bill. The story you've just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 7th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 86, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you. Friends, the makers of Fatima have done everything possible to produce the kind of cigarette you want, just as we on Dragnet try to bring you the kind of entertainment you want. In my honest opinion, Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. But frankly, my opinion doesn't count because Fatimas must please you. That's why I suggest you buy a pack of Fatimas tomorrow so you can prove to yourself that Fatimas are extra mild with a rich, better flavor and aroma. You'll find Fatima now costs the same as other long cigarettes. And I'm convinced that you'll discover what I did. In Fatima, the difference is quality. Henry Ellsworth Ross was tried and found guilty on two counts of murder in the first degree and received the death sentence. While he indicated that he had murdered the other ten men... He refused to give any further information regarding the killings or what he had done with the bodies. Ross was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. 
Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet portions transcribed from Los Angeles. Now more excitement with Counter Spy on NBC. That was The Big Cast from Dragnet here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That came to us as a a request from our mysterious listener, Paul. And Paul sent us a bunch of requests, and I always feel guilty because I think this is the third request we featured from Paul. It's just he has some killer (laughs) requests. (laughs) Paul requested SOS from uh, Mysterious Traveler and um, The Ring of Thoth. Yes. So if you've been listening to this podcast from beginning to end, you are familiar with my arc of Dragnet from never, ever, ever listening to an episode at all, almost to not even knowing five years ago that Dragnet started as a radio show. And before it was a TV show that I watched in the afternoons when I got home from school to, I don't think it's going to be my deal. I'm not really into it to becoming such a huge fan of this show that sometimes it stops me in my tracks that I am so impressed by it. And this one, the big cast could be my favorite. It's so good. It's so good. And it, again, boils down to, I have been a critic in this podcast of how slow things go. Mm-hmm. And there is nothing slower than Dragnet. <laughs> nothing. And so I am such a hypocrite when it comes to loving Dragnet. When I rip other things, could you get to the castle? Can we get this thing moving? Why? What are we doing here? Can't you use Dragnet as a lens to look through nope. to us to see. Nope. Okay. Just drag that. <laughs> the rest of them are still terrible. No, and it's this. I finally figured it out. Why do I give Dragnet such a wide berth? Why am I so lenient with the pace of this? It's because, first of all, Foley and ambiance and imagery and the theater of the mind that they create nobody's a competitor. Nobody comes close. Escape sometimes. The amount of work in the production of this show makes you listen to a man eat liver and onions like it was the greatest thing you've ever heard in your <laughs> life. That slow burn is so enjoyable and nothing happens, but really. I, I think one of the things that's interesting about this episode is and perhaps I haven't heard enough Dragon yet. I feel like I have to say this, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. It really breaks some Dragnet formulas in that we start, bam, in the yes. action. Joe and Romero show up to interrogate this suspect, and two minutes in, there is a huge <laughs> brawl in his room where they right. literally break an Ikea store worth of furniture <laughs> in this fight. Yes. Uh, Yeah, in most dragnets, it's the process of discovering who committed the crime. This is a story in how they interrogated this guy. In addition, they don't tell us at the beginning what's going on. So consequently, that moment of, yeah, I killed, there's 12 of them. Oh, we're dealing with a serial killer here. 
Like that's kind of this weird. At the very top, twist. they say there's been multiple murders. I thought they even just said there's a lot of people missing, and yeah. they thought there was murder involved. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's also the journey of the actor. And you're talking about the suspect. Yeah. Stacy Harris. Just phenomenal. Do you recognize him from um, studying wax? Oh, uh, he's right. The guy who wow. plays opposite yes, uh, William right. Conrad. That's right. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. Brilliant. He's brilliant in everything I've heard him in. His moments, just these little moments of, uh, you know, you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, let me get a little more coffee. I also find it fascinating that at one point in this world, in this country, I should say, you were allowed to take the suspect out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> well, he took and and then afterwards said, "Now, do you want to give a statement?" I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. We're just hanging out right now. They didn't bring him sandwiches. They took him to dinner. <laughs> In which he had something that sounded straight out of the Vincent Price cookbook. His, his right. meal, I got. I have to read it because it turned my stomach. Cottage cheese and pineapple salad, Perfect. bacon and liver with onion, mm-hmm. rye bread, that's good, mm-hmm. banana pie and coffee. Now, I want to apologize right now if someone who is pregnant or <laughs> someone with a hangover was listening when <laughs> that list was read because they're in the bathroom right now throwing up. Everything you just mentioned, I'd love. I love cottage cheese. I love cottage cheese, fruit on it. I love liver and onions. But it's in a cafeteria that smells like Like antiseptic or disinfectant. So you know what the quality of this food is, too. Sure. But I will tell you that I literally got hungry when I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that list, and in the context of the story at that moment, I thought, this guy knows this is my last time eating a meal of my own choice. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, from a story point of view it serves that function as a yeah exactly what tim says but also to show you how little uh these murders and his situation affects him in this moment Mm -hmm. he doesn't care you get the feeling from the actor's performance of this that this guy knows he's caught and he's got a little bit of time to screw around but he's come to terms with it really fast and almost a little relieved I would say you get that feeling, yeah, well, from the suspect Henry Ross. Yeah, from the actor. I, yeah, like I think he's it's, really... just, it's such a low stakes for him. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any arc at right. all. I think that's the point of it in 1950. Whatever this is, I think this probably stood out as this exploration of a killer without a conscience. In fact, it stood out to me, and maybe felt like a capitulation to the time to have him have a nightmare about the people he killed like they couldn't go quite as far as to portray a guy who had completely erased his conscience or never had one to begin with like i felt like that was a something they maybe had to throw in on the other hand it's really the closest thing we have to a twist or climax Mm -hmm. to the story is to reveal how he murdered this last guy and that was connected to some weird moment of at least subconscious conscience that somewhere he knows a difference between right and wrong because it's too terrifying to picture or think of someone that absolutely has zero remorse or sense of right or wrong i don't want to uh i don't want to take dragnet for granted Mm -hmm. um but all these things you're saying about how technically excellent it is it is so technically excellent uh that it almost it doesn't bear a lot of discussion like it's amazingly technically uh excellent and as another script's Dragon uh, has produced. It puts all this effort into the, all this minutia and all these small little details and mundane. And then in the last line, 
it's got a zinger that pays off all that work of when you see the bill. Yes. Ah! (laughs) Golden! Another Law and Order, uh, you know, you guys know I love Law and Order, and it's probably why I'm attacked to Dragnet, because there's there's some similarities in the police procedural storytelling between the two, but that was another Law and Order moment for me, because that was a Lenny Briscoe opening scene zinger, (laughs) (laughs) you know? But the main thing that this episode sent me away with was how much Dragnet, in many ways, archives a real change in American culture. Mm-hmm. Like taking criminals to dinner. Well, like the difference between when you could hitchhike and when you can't Right. Hitchhike. I grew up in the 70s and we were still doing it. Yeah. yeah. You were still doing it, but I was told as a young person that that is something you don't do. You don't hitchhike, you don't pick up hitchhikers. You and your family. <laughs> <laughs> telling you stuff. But a car. I didn't have a family telling me stuff. He was literally born on the side of the road with his <laughs> thumb sticking out. <laughs> Robert Johnson sing a song about it. Don't stop with that baby. It'd be dangerous. <laughs> Robert, what is that baby doing in the crossroads? Hitchhiking. <laughs> You I sure don't know. can't play guitar. Oh, <laughs> you beat me to it. Look at that baby play guitar. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, but yeah, and that that this is a transition of criminals were like this, and now it is possible in stories to have criminals uh, that have no conscience, that, that yep. no motivation. In addition to what Tim's saying, that it is documenting a cultural change, it's also explicitly discussing and criticizing mystery stories. Yeah. He goes back over and over again about how they've got it all wrong, they're blowing it out of proportion, uh, the buildup is phony, and all this stuff. And so in that way, it's interesting to look at the episode and see that they're basically structuring the episode to match Henry Ross's theory. Mm-hmm. There's no mm-hmm. buildup. It literally starts at the end. They've caught their man within the first five minutes. They interrogate him, interrogate him, and never get any motivation or big exciting thing out of him. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, confesses at the halfway point, <laughs> and then they still have 10 more minutes to fill mm-hmm. at a cafeteria right. <laughs> eating food. And so you don't really find out anything new until... He tells you specifically how he killed Paul Davis, and that yeah. was in his confused state during like a dream hallucination. Beat him to death with a two by four, uh, which is pretty explicit. Um, mm-hmm. And Dragnet always was the violence they talked about. That was part of capturing the realism of police work, mm-hmm. as they didn't pull any punches in talking about violence. It's an interesting thing, also nothing to do with this. With Dragnet or anything, but just has a random thought. Just a random thought. <laughs> it's weird how birds fly. <laughs> I just been thinking about cottage cheese for about ten minutes now. No, the idea of a serial killer, uh, male uh, serial killer, killing men is rare. Isn't it usually men it killing was... women, and you don't see them killing men? I, I'm pretending I have knowledge because I've seen in TV shows, which I now must stop myself and like that is not actual knowledge. <laughs> it's not TV, not knowledge. <laughs> well, CSI says <laughs> that I may be going off that as well. I just haven't heard a lot of stories of in whatever medium that I've been gaining that information from of serial killers that hmm. killed men. 
and I was struck by that. But I'm alone, so we'll move on. <laughs> I don't know the real statistics, but I would guess that the reason it's here in this story, because definitely in 1950, whatever mm. this is, I think if you were killing women... Even if he said there was no motivation, people would think there would be, right. whether it be out of some sexual frustration, whether it be out of misogyny. If he's killing other men, I think it's easier in this time period to package it as, eh, he was there and I just killed him. Right. I tried, you know, these are actual stories from police files. And when I listen to Dragnet, I want to look this up. <laughs> I want to find out more about this. And I never am able to find the actual stories that they're talking about. And in this case, I was like, oh, I'm going to get this one. This guy killed 12 people. He was a serial killer in the 50s, and I can't find it. So I think Dragnet was lying. (laughs) (laughs) I have not read enough about Dragnet to know how much of the details they change. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. They make it sound very much like this is word for word what happened. It it was not a sentence that I thought, what? That's outrageous. But for a guy who confessed to two out of... 12 murders he probably committed mm-hmm. the gas chamber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was also interesting that he was so freely saying, yeah, that guy, I can't remember him. And, and then they come back and they say, yeah. And then he decided not to mention anymore. You would assume that he just went down the list. <laughs> well, I, I also got the, the vibe retroactively of they got two confessions. Like that's all we need. We don't need any more details than that. Yeah. And it's also interesting how much, again, whether it's, real or what we get from television, how much this presages some of the serial killer tropes that we now are inundated with. And that is that desire to brag and tell people about the crimes, particularly once they are caught. I mean, his particular philosophy he wants to get out is this anti-mystery philosophy. That seems to be the thing he bangs on the most about. People want meaning behind their murders, and there isn't any. Yeah, but it is in keeping with our modern idea of serial killers, that they have a a, some type of manifesto, uh, some sort of important personal thing to them, that um, once they get a chance to get out, they're going to, no matter what the consequences. And Um, Friday even has the commentary of... He talked a lot. He, like, he yeah. talked for hours. He just kept talking just and kept talking, talking. And he was obsessed with real murder cases and yeah. wanted mm-hmm. to get their opinion and thoughts about all of those. And more importantly, he wanted to brush his teeth. <laughs> and I think that is yep. a classic dragnet scene of yep. Joe Friday helping a guy in handcuffs brush his teeth. Yep. They do every bit of detail. Yep. We just have to be thankful he didn't have to go to the bathroom because he would have had that scene. I was just like, you need toilet paper? Yeah. How many squares? Two. You oh, should, wait, three. You should not have eaten cottage cheese, fruit, liver, and onions. Take that, oh. toilet. But yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating because this is essentially Joe Friday versus the serial killer. Yeah. I would um, have loved to hear Stacey Harris play Hannibal Lecter and that really laid back. Yeah. Like, so, uh, uh, Clarice, uh, you, you ever hear the uh, lamb scream? I mean, it's, it's not a big deal. Every FBI agent hears lamb scream. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter had really bizarre taste in food. <laughs> yes. Ate it with the banana pie yeah. <laughs> cottage cheese cottage cheese with a nice Chianti oh. <laughs> banana pie <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah again I've said this before a sign of a great uh, theater of the mind radio theater for me is when I 
am in the room with these people and I see it and I see all of it and I'm that enthralled. And I was in that booth in that cafe smelling disinfectant. And there's no way you wouldn't smell the liver and onions over the disinfectant. <laughs> That's the only thing I didn't believe <laughs> that would overpower the mop water. It's a tiny little detail of, of Friday opens the ketchup for him. Yeah. So as long as we're you're confessing to twelve murders, let me give you a hand here. <laughs> I think there's something to the idea of them befriending him as much as possible. Like, I wondered if he was still cuffed because it seemed like a callback to the mm-hmm. toothbrushing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything explicit in there to tell you that, but that's what I wondered. Yeah. I mean, I didn't wonder for long. I mean, I was able to sleep last night not knowing <laughs> whether he was handcuffed or not. But I didn't think about that. I see in my head, they walk down the street together. <laughs> They're just walking like three guys going out for some like dinner. On the other side of the glass at the gas chamber on Friday, and we're just waving bye to him. <laughs> bye! <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Like a scene from Lords of Flatbush. They're just walking down the middle of the street. <laughs> yeah, I just made a Lords of Flatbush reference. Wow. I'll cut it. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to wrap this thing up when yeah. I pull that out of uh, my... 240 episodes, 240 Lords of Flatbush references cut. <laughs> <laughs> At least I stopped making Food of the Gods references. <laughs> that was 100 episodes ago when I that ran its course. So what's your vote, Eric? Ah, classic. Stands the test of time. Really well done. Compelling. Great theater of the mind. Great theater. And I know that the others were great, but I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, Romero. uh, For uh, Yarborough. Yarborough. uh, So much. I love him so much in everything. And uh, when I get to the other Dragnets that I listen to that aren't Yarborough, they're good. They're really good. But when I get one of these, I'm like, ah, there's Barton. Thank you. Something about that slow draw that feeds into the entire uh, premise and overall feeling of uh, Dragnet. It certainly slows the pace. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that small little dynamic between Friday's yeah. mechanical uh, delivery and mm-hmm. and his more rustic rural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so that's what I say. Yeah, this is a, not just a classic. This is an incredible classic. This is not just... If you want to get to know what the best of old-time radio is, listen to this. This is a really amazing artifact of history mm-hmm. that, like, anyone who is interested in the 1950s or American culture should listen to this episode. I'm going super superlative. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Tim, but that lands me at stands the test of time. It lands me short of classic because I think mostly this is of historical interest, and I think we've talked about this before where that is not a consolation prize i think the most fascinating way to view this is through a modern lens Mm -hmm. um all the things we talked about of of, this is capturing a cultural change not just in criminality but in how we depict criminality in fiction it's probably more how we depict criminality in fiction yeah um a change in the world, what we're willing to recognize and document. Um, but I think structurally, it's that exception that proves the rule. The fact that it mirrors the killer's philosophy in that, even by dragnet standards, nothing <laughs> happens for 30 minutes. Yeah, You catch the killer in the first five, yep. he confesses at 15, yep. and there's still 
10 minutes yep. of cafeteria dining, all of which I loved, mm-hmm. but I can't quite give classic to, I can say I super admire it for <laughs> what it did. But I think there are other episodes of Dragnet that I would call a classic that do it better. I love Stacey Harris, though. That five stars to me, for this, his performance. To me, this is all about Stacey Harris's performance. It's like an actor studio monologue, this thing. It's beautiful. Did you know that at least for one serial, might have been two, but at least one Superman serial, Stacey Harris played Batman? Wow. Yep. Wow. That's some nerd stuff going on over there. <laughs> I'm sorry for being nerdy on our old time radio <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Oh, right. No. Oh. All right. I'm sorry, Mr. Lords of Flesh. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. I want to say Fonzie, but his name's Henry Winkler. I think he legally changed it to Fonzie. Yeah. Rainbow, Fonzie. Yeah. A bunch of other guys. Tim, tell them stuff. Hey, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. Many other episodes can be found there. You can comment on episodes. You can send us messages. If you have requests that you'd like to listen to, send them to us. You can also uh, link to our social media pages. We have social media pages. You can uh, link to our Threadless store and buy some swag or link to our Patreon page. Yes, go to patreon.com slash themorals and become a patron. And you know... There are other patrons out there who've been patrons for quite a long time, and they're very satisfied with their patronage. Let's hear from one right now. I love being a member in good standing of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. My favorite perk as a Patreon supporter of The Morals is the monthly Zoom happy hours. Being an old-time radio fan is often a lonely hobby. It's theater of the imagination, and sure, there's plenty of online discussion groups or message boards that you can dig into if you're interested, but I never get the opportunity in person in my day-to-day to discuss old-time radio dramas live and face-to-face with other actual human beings. If I tried to talk to my friends about, say, Lucille Fletcher or Name Dropped and Georgia Ellis in casual conversation, I'd be met by a puzzled stare or polite silence at best. So to be able to get together with radio fans from all over the world for a lively discussion, a real time back and forth exchange of ideas with other people who love this stuff as much as I do, it is such a treat. It's like a book club, but instead of reading a novel, we all listen to a couple of radio plays and then hash it out. I really love to hear other people's perspectives, things that they heard that I missed, or what they think of my ideas. It's just such a great way to get together, and I want to thank you guys for giving us that opportunity to share what we love with other people far and wide. That was just the facts. <laughs> hey, if you'd like to see us perform live, doing recreations and adaptations of classic radio drama and a lot of our own original radio drama, please come see us live. We perform monthly as a theater company. Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society performances monthly. You can find out where we are and what we're performing each month by going to ghoulishdelights.com or MysteriousOldRadioListeningSociety.com. And if you're not in the Twin Cities area or wherever we are performing, then you can buy a ticket online and watch it live streamed, or you can watch it later. Uh, You don't even have to be available that night. No excuses. We'll see you there. 
All right, what do we got coming up next? Next is our Halloween episode, which is also a listener request. We will be listening to Ringing the Changes from Nightfall. Until then... Look at that baby play guitar. <laughs> <laughs>